You are listening to the Boundless Vancouver Sermon Podcast Series. We pray you experience the deep life and wide love that God has for you today. Hi, I'm John Evans, and this message is from Mark 6, verses 45 to 56. It's on Jesus walking on the water. It's entitled, The I Am in the Midst of the Storm. If you're not familiar with this passage, I recommend for you to pause it now and have a read. This summer, I went out fishing on the Pacific Ocean. I would wake up around 5 a.m. so we could be out on the water at 6. I got to drive the boat because I was definitely the worst fisherman there. Because of the fog, I had to keep my eyes on the GPS and the depth chart to ensure wherever we were going that I didn't hit land and that we were at the right depth to snag a Chinook salmon. He got away. My buddy who owned the boat was sick, heaving over the edge. The waves weren't even that bad, but it was just up and down, up and down. And in a fog, you had no point of reference. And then the engine cut out. Seriously, we tried to start it. And we had to drop the anchor so we weren't blown into the rocks. At that moment, we prayed and we waited. Nope, no Jesus walking on the water for us, but we just wanted to get back home, get in the cabin, and eat some food for our empty bellies and to see our wives and kids. Have you ever been stuck, a little lost, and needed some help to get out of the situation? Ever been in the fog existentially and not know where you are? Can't see where you came from or where you're supposed to go? Well, this story is for you. In this story, we're invited to see something mysterious, a dimension of our world which is normally hidden, which has indeed died, but which Jesus brings to new life. Mark is offering Jesus to our startled imagination as the world's rightful king, long exiled, now returning, striding on the water to us. I want to share with you, first, that Jesus sends us, his disciples, into storms. Two, that Jesus appears in these storms, and that three, Jesus calms the storms. So first, Jesus sends his disciples away into storms. Last week, Jesus invited his disciples into the wilderness to come away, be alone, and get some rest. Now he urgently packs them in the boat and sends them into a storm. Jesus goes to the mountain to pray by himself. They're cast off to Pasada, meaning house of the fisher, back to their comfort zone, but on the way they are thrown off course by a painful wind against them between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Look, encountering anything between 3 and 6 a.m. is a storm. We ask, how was your sleep last night? Oh, it was awful. I had to get up to the bathroom sometime between 3 and 6 a.m. Or I heard the dog barking around 4. Couldn't get back to sleep. Things are horrible. In the middle of the night, in the middle of a journey, wind, storms, resistance, anything, anything, people get so annoyed when things don't work out as you planned or hoped. The ESV says they were making headway painfully. And that word painfully in the Greek is bazanzian, meaning to torment. The same word Mark used for demon possession in the previous chapter. That same word can be used for childbirth 
and for suffering in hell. Worse, they were now alone. Their leaders abandoned them. It seems in the middle of the night, at the point of their greatest need, and in their most dangerous struggle, God has cast them away to be tormented in the tempest. They are down on the lake, and he's way up on the mountain. Have you ever felt abandoned by God? It seems that obedience to Jesus' commands isn't all smooth sailing, but struggle and times of the dark night of the soul. And if that's you today, take heart, you're in good company. The disciples, missionaries, world changers, faithful women and men who serve Christ have all been sent through a storm. And you may be in a storm and God may seem blind and far off. It may be dark in the dead of the night, but even in the darkness, it's his light to God. Jesus sees you. He's coming to you. And here we arrive at the second point. Jesus appears in the storm. Jesus appears to the disciples walking on the water. Obviously, this is something impossible, and this passage is the most dismissed by scholars who omit the possibilities of miracles, claiming the disciples just saw an illusion, a ghost. They were collectively deluded by the trauma of the storm. However, if Jesus is God, he can override the natural laws of the universe. Indeed, treading on the waves is something that only God can do. Job 9 Verse 8 and 11 read, God alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. When he passes me by, I cannot see him. When he goes by, I cannot perceive him. The Job quotation summarizes this passage perfectly. Who can fill the expanse of heaven and earth? Who can tread across the sea? Jesus is passing by so his disciples can see him but they do not perceive. See, pass them by is a verb found twice in the Old Testament. These are theophanies or God sightings. In Exodus 33 verses 19 to chapter 34 verse 7, Moses asks God to show him his glory, and God responds by passing by before him and proclaiming his identity. I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And in 1 Kings 19, 11-12, the Lord tells Elijah to stand on the mountain, for the Lord is about to pass by. This is where Elijah discovers God is not in nature, in wind, earthquakes, and fire, but in the still, small voice, the gentle whisper to his heart. You see, when Jesus passes by the disciples on the lake, he does something different from the God of the Old Testament. He intends to make the mysterious and enigmatic God of Job visible and palpable as it had not been and could not have been to former generations. The God of Israel, majestic and awesome, but unknowable face-to-face, is now passing by believers in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus walking on the water to his disciples is a revelation of the glory that he shares with the Father and the compassion that he extends to his followers. 
It's a divine epiphany in answer to their earlier bafflement when he calmed the storm. Remember their question the last time Jesus calmed the storm? Who is this? God cannot be fully seen, but Jesus can. The one who comes to them on the sea is not simply a successor to Moses who fills baskets with bread in the desert. Only God can walk on the sea. And Jesus' greeting is not some simply cheerful, hey guys, look, I'm walking on water. You don't have to be scared anymore. No, Jesus greets them with the divine formula of self-revelation in verse 50. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. It is I is ego eimi in Greek. I, I am the identical phrase of God's self-disclosure to Moses. Thus, Jesus not only walks in God's power on the water, but he reveals his name to these disciples as well. Isaiah 43, 1-13 is the significant backdrop for understanding this passage. The disciples have been summoned by Jesus to pass through the waters, and Jesus is with them. Isaiah 43, verse 2. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I've chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am He. Before me no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. It is I, even I am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Savior. This is the answer to the disciples' questions in chapter 4, 41. Who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. This person is the God who needs only say, I am. And the great I am in the storm calms it. Jesus displays his divine power even further when he gets into the boat. His mere presence causes the wind to cease howling and enables the disciples to continue their journey. Jesus had a plan to reveal himself and pass the disciples by. The great theophany will have to wait until the cross, but here, when Jesus gets in the boat, when the disciples are with Jesus, their terror and amazement are over. Their internal questions and wonderings will continue, however. A famous Old Testament scholar of the past, George Adam Smith, once climbed the Weisshorn in Switzerland with his guide on a stormy day. They made the ascent on the sheltered side, and when they reached to the top, exhilarated by the thought of the view before him and the triumph of having attained the summit, but forgetting about the wind, Smith sprang to the top of the peak and was almost blown over the edge by the wind. His guide grunted grabbed him and pulled him down. On your knees, he shouted. You're only safe here on your knees. Life is like that. There are valleys, mountains to climb, and unexpected storms. When we hit the storms, the safe place to be is on our knees, in prayer and with Jesus. We may have very big questions like, why me? Why suffering at all? Like Job and his friends, we may go on forever in blindness and around in circles. That's why the disciples, even with Jesus in the boat, don't make it to their destination. 
Bethsaida, but land in Gennesaret. The destination isn't the point because Jesus is the destination. Being with Jesus is success. Seeking His wisdom and guidance is where we're supposed to be. The external circumstances, surprisingly, are not the final verdict when we're with Jesus. There's much more to life than the present. Thomas Merton understood the uncertainties of life and how futile it is to plan our paths and destinations. He wrote this prayer you might be familiar with from our Lenten series, The Creative Way Down. He prays, My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I'm actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I'm doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may not know anything about it. Therefore, I trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. This amount of faith is a step beyond where we see Jesus' disciples in the story, and it might be a step beyond for you. Because the result of a calming of the storm, well, for the disciples, it's confusion and hardness of heart. Following Jesus isn't always happy, clappy, or straightforward, but a real journey of a real relationship with the powerful God who makes himself known. And sometimes, just like the disciples, we don't get it. Jesus' presence doesn't calm the disciples' apprehension. Mark offers a surprising explanation for the disciples' terror and amazement in verse 52. For they had not understood about the loaves, their hearts were hardened. The two incidents are somehow connected. What is it that they don't understand about the loaves? What does it have to do with walking on water? Jesus' disciples are blind to the presence of God and his care for people. They don't see the full glory of the revelation of God in the face of Christ. Starting in verse 53, Jesus performs a series of mighty works intended to help the disciples to see again. Jesus never gives up on the disciples despite their failures or hardness of heart, but he takes them through a quick repeat of a bunch of miracles he's previously done to remind them he makes lame people jump off mattresses, he heals the sick, and he causes those who touch his robe to be transformed. And here is the point. Though the disciples are blind, Jesus sees them in their tireless work and their exhausting inability to get where they're supposed to go. In wanting to pass by, Jesus wants to give his disciples a revelation, not yet before accessible to humanity. Recall, Moses was told not to look at God's face or he would surely die. Yet here, the disciples, believing the same terror of being out on the water before some ethereal spirit, 
believe they are encountering a deity that will wipe them out of existence. No. Jesus, the water treader, makes accessible and intimate the face of God. His revelation leaps the gap that humanity cannot span between human sinfulness and God's holiness. When I was a kid, there was a picture my Sunday school teacher would give us. A large chasm with a stick figure on the left, a huge puzzlement and agony on his face as he sees the cliff and longs to get to the other side. If an attempt were made to jump the gap, the cartoon would certainly fall into the abyss labeled death. Well, what was on the other side? Something like a sun, rays extending from the word God. You probably know what's next. A cutout cross with the name Jesus that would fill the gap like the bridge between desperate humanity and holy, loving God. The thing that this passage reveals, however, is that there's actually very little clue or indication that us humans want to get to the other side. Like the disciples, we're busy, challenged, just trying to get where we're trying to go in the natural world. That's hard enough. Jesus enters our world on our side of the cliff to be with us and stretches his nail-pierced arms over the chasm, inviting us to see him and follow him. Jesus longs to appear in the storm of your life to show you the face of God. Only when Jesus joins you in the boat does the storm subside. I suppose that's the point for us today. Would you let Jesus into the boat? Recall my fishing story. The engine started up again after about five minutes of waiting. It was flooded, but we were cold, tired, and hungry. We headed straight back to land. It's tough out there on the water. Disciples of Jesus are not meant to be in entirely safe waters where they can handle the natural or supernatural worlds on their own, but with Jesus, who can manage the storm and the mysteries of life. You may be tired and in a fog. You might be clueless about what's going on and where you are. Jesus wants to pass you by. He wants in the boat. So you are exactly where you're supposed to be. He comes to you today. He calms the storm and he will bring you safe to shore where his father has prepared for you a feast. Bless you. Thanks for listening to the Boundless Vancouver Sermon Podcast. For more messages and contact us, please head to our website, byvr.life.